welcome back to Full Cut Professionals, a podcast for social service providers, helping professionals and caregivers. If you take care of people, serve people, work with people, then this is a podcast for you. In the last episode, we dove into the stress response. So if you missed episode two, that's a great place to start because we're building on that in this episode, talking about polyvagal theory. Sounds really complicated, but faith breaks it down for us in a really understandable way. And while the first part of this episode is a little bit technical, it gets really practical as we unpack how this plays out in our everyday life and what we can do to navigate this kind of innate physical response that we have to stress so that we can keep showing up in the way that we want to, in a way that's impactful, but also sustainable. We are so thankful that you're here, and I really hope that you have some moments that we did in this episode where we go, oh, maybe that's why I respond that way, or that's why I feel that way. We hope that you feel heard and seen, and like you found people that go, oh man, I get you, I know what that's like. We're so thankful for all that you do, and we're so glad that you're here. Let's dive into the episode. Hello, welcome back. Hello, welcome back to you. We are here, the Full Cup Professionals podcast. To you that is listening, we are so excited that you are here. This is episode three. Yeah. If you're just finding us, just tuning in, we really dove in talking about some of the basics of what we're talking about today in episode one. So if you are so inclined, we would (laughs) highly encourage you to go back and check those out because today we're talking about something that honestly sounds super fancy and very clinical. Yes, it sounds clinical. It sounds advanced. But the application of this is so practical and so Uh helpful for everyday use. So and actually like very simple. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's why you are the clinically trained psychotherapist, licensed master social worker person (laughs) that's going to walk us through all of this. So Faith, let's kind of just dive in. We always start with talking about what's in our cup because, you know, you and I are always drinking something. Yes. Mostly good things. (laughs) Mostly good things. Yes. What do you have today? It's funny that you said that because today I'm drinking Diet Coke, which, you know, I have like a love-hate relationship with. I do know that. But I'm drinking in my Texas cup, which I like love. And I'm drinking my Texas cup today to honor like the Astros and the Rangers fighting each other. They're going to battle it out, but... Either way, we're going to have a Texas team in the World Series, so that's exciting. But yeah, I'm drinking Diet Coke today. Krista has been along for my journey of like, I should quit Diet Coke. I should just drink as much as I want. And you know, I've really come to the place of like, if I have one Diet Coke a day, that'd be okay. So I'm choosing to drink it now. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. I've got some Earl Grey tea in this beautiful uh, stoneware mug. Yeah, that's beautiful. I am coming at you from Boulder, Colorado today, and this mug just feels... It's just very bolder. Yes. It makes me really happy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a fan. It's very you, like very warm and inviting. Thank you so much. I cherish that. All right. Let's dive in. Yeah. Okay. So like you said, we have touched on these concepts and like everything we've been doing is kind of building on each other so far. So like first episode, we talked about trauma and like what is trauma Last time we talked about fight or flight responses, fawn or freeze responses, and all in general, like our stress response. And so today we're going to put all three of those together or two of those together and talk about the polyvagal theory. Basically what the polyvagal theory is, is that we have this thing called the vagus nerve. And I'm going to use some visuals because it's easier to conceptualize. So we have this nerve that runs from the base of our brain, which is the amygdala, which we talked about last time, which is our danger scanner. And it runs all the way through our body down to like our tailbone. And so it is basically like a highway between our body and our brain and our brain and our body. And what it does is it's going to send and receive messages of danger or safety back and forth. And that's basically what it's doing all day is the brain and the body are communicating with each other and saying, hey, are we in danger or hey, are we safe? And so that's the vagal part of polyvagal nerve, which is talking about the vagus nerve. And then the poly part means three. So we have three different like feeder roads Hmm. into this highway that is the polyvagal theory. And so what we have 
is when you were talking last week about fight or flight, that's going to be our sympathetic feeder road, the sympathetic state of the polyvagal theory. And so that is basically going to mobilize us to action. When that's activated, the vagus nerve is going to send that signal down the highway saying, hey, we need to be mobilized to action. And so our body and our brain are going to be mobilized to do the fight or flight. And we're going to get all those hormones we talked about last week, the cortisol, the adrenaline, and the highway system is going to tell everyone what to do, right? So that's one state. The second state is going to be the ventral vagal nerve, which is also known as the parasympathetic system, which we also talked about last week, which is the state of safety. So when we're in this state, we feel relaxed, we feel engaged, we feel like we can laugh and play, really engage in social interactions, we can be smiling, and just really feel like we're not needing to be on guard or anything like that. And then the third feeder road into the polyvagal nerve is going to be our dorsal vagal nerve. And so that's going to be our state of shutdown, which is going to be that fawn or freeze we talked about last week. And so like last week, we probably spent the least amount of time on fawn or freeze, But basically what that means is that we're no longer in safety. We're no longer mobilized to action. And through the vagus nerve, our brain and our body have decided on their own that the only way to survive the threat is to completely shut down. And so what's going to happen is the dorsal vagal will now be activated and will downregulate us to be immobilized or to shut down. Some people will call this like playing dead or, oh, I had a deer in headlights. Oh, I spaced out for a minute. Those are all going to be like when your dorsal vagal is running the highway. And so this is going to be the secondary reaction to our highway system. But another way that's really good to conceptualize it is like if we think about it like a ladder. And so right here in the middle is ventral vagal. That's going to be safety. And so we want to live, you know, right here in the middle, like we talked about. Ventral vagal is going to be up here when we're activated into fight or flight. And dorsal vagal is going to be down here and shut down. And so the highway of the vagus nerve is constantly going up and down this ladder all day long. So in a nutshell, that is the clinical definition of polyvagal theory. I should mention that polyvagal theory is was developed by Dr. Stephen Porges. He's a neurobiologist who had been studying the vagus nerve, and he was really the one that discovered, oh, we don't have two, we have three different states. Three states. Mm-hmm. Because we typically hear about fight or flight or like rest and digest and these two. Yes. And they can really be described in that bilateral way, like mm-hmm. the gas and the brake pedal. Yes. But polyvagal theory is there is a third system. And mm-hmm. the benefit of having that expounded framework is for us to make room and space for those experiences that we do have that yeah. are a fear response or a trauma response, but are not the like fight or flight Mm, kind of thing. That's that shutdown phase. So you explained a lot just now in (laughs) very intelligent ways. So I'm just going to kind of see if I can summarize it in layman's terms for us. And you can tell me, yes, Krista, you got it. Or like, no girl, let's go back to school. Um, (laughs) Okay. So you highlighted the vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. which runs from the back of our brain, our amygdala, Mm -hmm. which we talked about last time as our receptionist. Like the amygdala Mm -hmm. is where our senses, our sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch. That's the reception desk for all of that data, all Mm -hmm. of that information. And then our brain, our amygdala says, oh, based off of this data, we're safe or based off of this data, we're not safe. Mm -hmm. And then it sends that signal down the vagus nerve, which is when we talked about the highway, but we didn't really talk about what's going up and down that highway. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming or kind of putting together that the information coming up and down that highway is the information from our senses, like what's going on around us. And then coming back is our brain telling our body, this is what we're going to do about it, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then another thing that happens in the messaging system is that our body's going to have those somatic responses as well. So if it's like we need to be mobilized to action, we're going to feel the body sensations that go along with fear. If we are going to be in freeze, we're not going to feel anything. We're going to feel numb. And so that's another thing that's going up and down the highway is adding in those body sensations. Right. 
And so there's this massive amount of communication between uh-huh. our brain and our body, uh-huh. but we're not necessarily having conscious control over that process. No, we're not having any conscious control over that process. It's the autonomic nervous system, which is automatic. It's like breathing. It's something that happens without us having to control it. Right, right. So yeah, just as much as we don't have control over our heart beating Uh or our breathing or our blinking, we don't have control over this fear response. When that Uh system takes over, it takes over and Uh we don't really get a say. We've got this big vagus nerve, this main highway, and then these three modes where we're either in safety mode. I like that action mode, right? Like fight or flight. We see something that we need to respond to. And that could be an email, that could be, you know, an urgent phone call, that could be a client that needs help, or it could be that big 18-wheeler that pulls out in front of you or someone that you get an icky feeling about, which we're going to talk about icky feelings Mm. in a parking lot or, you know, in public or, or there's that moment of shutdown, that moment of Mm -hmm. fawn or freeze. I think we all understand freeze because I think a lot of us can recognize when, you know, after the moment passes, we're like, why didn't I do something? That person yells at us or tells us off and we walk away from that situation and immediately think of all the things we could have said. But in the moment we just, like you said, deer in headlights, like we were just silent. We couldn't talk. We couldn't move. So I think all of us have felt that and we can kind of recognize I just shut down in that moment. But what is fawn and why is that part of a this subconscious fear response? Yeah, that's a great question. So the highway is taking in all the data and analyzing our survival capacity, right? So fawn would show up when we are in a long-term danger situation that we can't flee from, we can't fight from, we can't be always fleeing, we can't be always fighting, and we can't be always freezing. And so fawn is really the... Another way to survive a unsurvivable situation by denying our own needs and really attaching ourselves to the person that's hurting us or harming us and making their needs and aligning ourselves with them to put their needs in front of ours in a hope that that person will no longer harm us as much. And so we would see the fawn response show up a lot in like domestic violence situations trafficking situations. And really the fawn response to me answers that question of like, why did they just leave? And it's like, because their analyzation system has decided that that is leaving isn't survivable. And so the fawn is like, okay, this is how I survive is I make the person harming me, my friend. And so it becomes a people pleasing type of survival response. Yeah. And I like how this is phrased where the fight or flight is a mobilized response. Mm -hmm. And that state of shutdown is that immobilized response. And I think what is so tricky about fawn is that because we're still walking around, talking around, moving, we don't look back at that and go, oh, that was a shutdown response. But Mm -hmm. the sympathetic, the fight or flight is asking you to take action based off of your needs, what your brain is telling you, what your body needs for safety. Uh It's asking you for action. You fight or you leave, like do something. Uh But that immobilized response is asking you to shut down, to not answer your own needs, Uh to just like go offline. Uh And so fawn, even though you are active and maybe talking or doing things, essentially you have shut down to your own needs. Mm. And to like your own messaging system. So you may be walking around, but you're not getting those messages anymore of like, oh, I'm in danger. Or you're not feeling those body sensations anymore. You're just walking around kind of on autopilot. Right. From the outside, it won't maybe not seem like that, but on the inside, people can know what that feels like. Yeah. Man, our bodies are so incredible. Yeah. And what I find so fascinating and honestly so frustrating about Mm. the human survival response is how ingenious it is. Yeah. And also how inconvenient (laughs) it is. But what I think is really beautiful is that it asks something of us. Mm. It's asking us to respond. It's asking us to honor that we are 
a person with a story and value mm-hmm. and that what's happening to us isn't giving us the space or the freedom to be mm-hmm. who we're supposed to be. At the end of the day, I think that's what's happening. I kind of see it as not so much as asking us, but it's telling us. It's telling us that we have worth based off of the responses that we're getting. And when we go into that fawn response, that's basically what it has decided is, oh, we have to downplay our worth in order to survive. Wow. And that can be a super distressing place to be. And, you know, I talked earlier about like domestic violence and trafficking situations, but this also shows up at work all the time. When we have gone through life thinking, hey, my only way to survive every social situation that I've ever been in is to put someone else's needs in front of mine. The way that that shows up at work is, okay, now the needs of this organization are more important than mine. The needs of my clients are more important than mine. The needs of my coworkers are more important than mine. So internally, we're denying all of the messages that our brain and our body are telling us that we matter too, because we have been conditioned through our past experiences that they don't matter or that I'm in danger if I make them matter. You know, I might get fired if that happens, or I may not be available to my client and they could get hurt if that happens. And so that's really how the fawn response is conceptualized in the workplace. Yeah. And this goes back to what we've been talking about in these first two episodes where we have a life experience, but we internalize a belief about what happened. Something happened, Uh whether that was we got rejected or we were told off or we were ignored, whatever happened, we then internalize this belief. Uh And because disconnection, you know, again, our brain, when it's looking for what is a sign of danger, it's looking for signs of harm, signs of lack of not having enough and signs of disconnection. And so whenever it registers one of those things, this polyvagal, this vagus nerve response is what gets activated. Mm -hmm. And then we internalize beliefs about what it means about us and who we are and Mm -hmm. the world around us. And then we keep acting out of that belief. And it can feel like I've been thinking about this this last week of just the benefit of time mm-hmm. and of getting older. Yeah. When you're, when I <laughs> was 22, 23, 24, 25, even 26, I'm asking these questions of like, why does this always happen to me? Mm-hmm. And then it happens so, so much that you start to go, well, I am the common denominator. <laughs> Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> And then you start to go, oh, I've been believing this thing. And so I keep acting out of that belief. And of course, people are going to respond to me and give that signal back to me. If I'm putting out there that I don't think I belong or that I think I'm an inconvenience and that I'm acting out of that belief, I can't fit in anywhere. I'm not being myself. Like there's no place for me to, I'm not expressing myself and people can see that and they don't know how to handle me. So the feedback Mm -hmm. I'm getting from the people around me is you don't really fit. We're not really sure about you. And then I'm thinking, oh, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And so coming back to that place of realizing these signals, these patterns, it's our body telling us you weren't made to live like this. And it's asking you to do something. It's asking you to take action. It's asking you to ask questions, to believe in your worth. And I think that's the beauty about listening to our body. And so we've talked a little bit about some of the aspects of polyvagal theory and neuroception is one of them. I want to talk about neuroception. I want to talk about co-regulation because I think that is really important. Yeah. So can you highlight what a couple of those things are for us? Yeah. So outside of the three paths of the vagus nerve, there's also like three key concepts of the polyvagal theory. And we've already talked about the first one is that ladder. There's a hierarchy of these pathways to the highway. The rest of digest, the safety one is in the middle. The fight or flight is at the top and fawn or freeze is going to be down at the bottom. And so usually we think about hierarchy as like, oh, we want to be at the top. But in this hierarchy, we want to be in the middle. We want to be in safety and rest and digest. And we want to be able to move up and down on the ladder based off of what's happening and come back into the middle. And so the hierarchy of the different feeder roads is the first key concept of the polyvagal theory. And then the second one is neuroception, which again, sounds like a really big word. 
But basically, it just means that our nervous systems not only are constantly sending messages to ourselves up and down our body, but our nervous systems are constantly also talking to each other, right? And so we are intercepting the nervous system of other people. And like earlier, you were talking about like people respond to me based on how I feel like that's what neuroception is, is you can walk in a room and go, oh, it's tense in here. That's neuroception. Or you can walk into a room and go, oh, it's safe to tell a joke in this room. That's neuroception. Easy way to think about it is like when we yawn, you know, if I were to yawn and then you yawn, it's not that yawns are contagious. It's that your body's picking up on my nervous system resetting through this yawn. And another thing that is so interesting about neuroception is that like it shows up in the workplace a lot, but it also shows up like in the therapy room a lot. If a client walks in and they are in that fawn or free state, I'll start noticing that all of a sudden my body's starting to feel heavy or I'll be yawning a lot. You know, that's always a key to me. Like you said, to ask like, Hey, what are you feeling in your body? Because I'm feeling kind of heavy now. And I wasn't feeling heavy before you came in. It's like another sixth sense, you know, like we have the five senses and this is the sixth one that we have is the ability to understand the emotional state of other people based off of our neurosystems talking to each other. And then the third concept is co-regulation, which again, big word, but really it just means that we're regulating. So we're moving ourselves either up the ladder or down the ladder into safety based off of a connection with a safe person. The easiest way to conceptualize it is when you have a child screaming, tantruming, yelling. Research is really showing, you know, when a kid's having a tantrum, when the adult joins into the chaos of a tantrum, like the tantrum only gets worse. But when a parent shares their calm with a child, then the child is able to calm down. Sometimes co-regulation, like from a parent-child situation, looks like sitting on the floor with a child who's kicking and screaming and going, okay, I see you're angry, you know, but I'm going to sit here with you in this. Mm-hmm. Co-regulation for adults is kind of a more complex topic because at work, it's not like you can be like, oh, hey, I can see that you're really dysregulated. Let me sit here and, you know, and share my calm with you because we're all going 18 million different ways. Help me kind of conceptualize co-regulation in the workplace, like through coming back to safety through some trust-based relationships and how that would look in the workplace. Well, one of the things that I think about, because I recently do trainings for a police department, and this was one of the trainings that we had talked about was the stress response. And I talked about how we're building resilience. How can we, like you just described it, move our way back to the middle of that ladder and get to a place of safety? And one of the examples I kind of thought of was when law enforcement is in training or when maybe a new officer is out on the field for the first time and they're in their first dangerous situation, but they're with someone who has some more seniority, who has some more experience and they're shaken, they're scared, they can feel their heart rate pounding. And this person that they're with who has some more experience and some more training, their voice is calm, they're giving directions in a clear, even tone. Um, their shoulders are dropped. And even though you're scared and like elevated because this person is calm and steady and speaking and all of those tones, right, of the body being under control, voice tone and voice volume, the speed with which you're speaking, the way that you carry your body, your shoulders are dropped, your feet are firmly on the ground, your eyes are forward. Mm -hmm. All of those things are signs that you're in control of your faculties, right? Mm -hmm. So when I see you being in control of your faculties, I don't feel in control of mine, but I'm looking at you and I'm going, okay, I'm just going to lock eyes on the safety that I see in your body and try to mirror that as opposed to focusing on the outside situation, which is really freaking me out. But I love what you mentioned about kiddos too, because I had a moment with my nephew this last weekend. We were carving pumpkins Mm. and we were using patterns and he couldn't lay on his pattern right. And he's a bit of a perfectionist and he got really upset and he started crying. And he does this when he feels like he's not doing something well, he kind of freaks out. So I I got down on his eye level, which I think is important, right? Maintaining the eye contact. contact, Yeah. And I said, Hey buddy, it's going to be okay. Tell me what's going on. And I I can't, it's it's ripping. I was like, Hey, it's okay. I can see that this is really important to you and you seem really sad about it. What helps you when you feel really sad? And he goes, a grown up. (laughs) And I was like, 
I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And I love that he was able to vocalize that because what I heard him say was, I need help regulating. Mm -hmm. I need help. When I see something big and scary, I need to look to someone else and know that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so when we're trying to practice safety, especially for those of us who live and work in environments that are triggering that fight or flight or that fawn or freeze, especially if you have a history of trauma, if you have lived experience with something mm-hmm. and or you've been working in this field for a long time, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. Can we pause there for just a second? Because I love that you brought that up because what has been so interesting is that a lot of people who have a lived experience in a certain field, I guess is the best way to put it, end up working in that field. Sometimes that's subconscious and sometimes it is conscious that we, you know, end up working in a field that we have overcome ourselves. But if it is a subconscious thing, we are going to be in a state of stress all the time until we make that connection of, oh, I'm doing this job because I have lived experience in this job, in the population that I work with in this job. Only then can we start to listening to the cues and start answering the questions that we're talking about. So I love that you brought that up, that lived experience of the work that we do plays a huge part in this stress responsible. Right. Because so many of us have either spent most of our life in the lower part of that ladder, right? In the shutdown, the freeze, we've lived through abusive or dangerous relationships, situations, mm-hmm. chronically feeling unsafe, and we've chronically shut down to our own needs so that we can better blend in and not rock the boat and not pose a threat or not potentially, I think sometimes our fear is that we're going to lose our support system if we need too much. So we shut that down. So either we've lived in that place and or we've lived in fight or flight mm-hmm. or your personal life is in that dorsal, that shutdown phase. Your work life is in fight or flight and we have no practice mm-hmm. living in safety. And it takes training. It takes practice, especially because our bodies adjust. Our bodies catch the memo and they're like, oh, if all of the information coming up and down this highway is danger all the time, then cool. We're just going to stay here because Mm -hmm. I feel more in control if I'm always on alert, if I'm always in this pattern Mm -hmm. versus trying to break out of this cycle. Yeah. But it takes practice. And I think this is where co-regulation really, really comes into play because again, we're adults. We're supposed to be autonomous at this point. Mm. Although most of us have experiences that we missed in our childhood and development that we kind of have to go back and get. But two, it's hard. It's stressful. And when you're not used to something, we need support. And I think what can be really hard, especially in social services, right, is we talk a lot about Mm self-care. In the last year, we love to talk about self-care. You know, breathe, take a bubble bath, drink some wine, whatever it is. We're always talking about how we can take care of yourself. And the message that at least I'm inferring from that overarching narrative is you broke it, you fix it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you go take care of yourself. You go get yourself okay so that you can keep coming back to work and keep burning both ends of the candles. And as long as you take care of yourself, you're going to lengthen that wick, lengthen that fuse a little bit longer. Mm. But if you can feel that the blowout is coming, like if you can feel Mm. that I'm about to burn out this candle or I'm about to blow up and you're just constantly lengthening that fuse – your body is still registering signals of unsafety. Mm -hmm. And so to tell someone in that state to calm down or to rest, it's a joke. Mm -hmm. Your body is not going to rest if it determines that there is a threat. Mm -hmm. So before we can talk about safety, before we can talk about self-care, we have to talk about you. What is your brain registering as dangerous? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be different for all of us. What is your brain Mm -hmm. registering as a threat? Yeah. And so for me, when I was unpacking all of this, I had to come to grips with like, oh, I'm afraid that if I don't show up a certain way, I'm not going to be good. And if I'm not good, then I'm not loved. I'm a bad person. I'm going to be shut off and cast out. Like I had this deep fear that if I wasn't this angelic being, that I wasn't worthy of love and belonging. And so my brain was like, that's disconnection. And of course, it took me ages to put words to that. 
But what it didn't take me ages to do was have really yucky feelings. The problem was that I wasn't listening. Mm -hmm. And so I think, again, before we talk about how we can build safety, you have to know what is your brain registering as a threat? What is actively causing stress? What is actively draining you? And how can you get around that? And for some of us, it might mean taking a break from our work. It might mean stepping away. It might mean taking a vacation. Mm -hmm. It might mean reassessing and talking with your supervisor about, hey, can I do this a little bit differently? It might just be changing your mindset and changing how you think and feel about it. But we have to understand that our brain is responding to a threat and Mm -hmm. we have to identify that or at least open that up first. So really what I'm hearing you say is like the first step to self-care is listening to our body, listening to what our body is telling us, like listening to that icky feeling that we get when we walk into our office or listening to that relaxed feeling that we get when we leave the office and then getting curious about that and going, huh. That happens every day. What does that mean? Right. And then instead of, and there's anything wrong with taking a bubble bath, but responding in a way that actually confronts what the message is that we're getting. Yes. And I think the danger with the self-care talk is that we're essentially gaslighting ourselves to say, you're fine. I gave you a glass of wine. I gave you a bubble bath. You know, we took a walk. We go to therapy. So like, stop being annoying, stop asking for help. Like if we're doing all these other self-care things, but we're not doing the thing our body is asking us to do, hey, have that hard conversation. Hey, say you're sorry. Or hey, tell someone that what they said hurt you. Or hey, prioritize your family. Or shut the computer at five o'clock and walk away. Like what is our body asking us to do? Because we can do all of these self-care things, but if we're not listening, and that's a thing, sometimes for a lot of us, we've been so conditioned and we've programmed ourselves to living this way that we don't know that we're doing it. And we don't have words for it. We don't know why we're doing it. We can't put a name to our biggest fear. We don't have that yet. But what you do have is that signal, Mm -hmm. that drop in your stomach when someone asks you to do something, that pounding of your heart when the phone rings. Like, what are those signals about what's happening there? Yeah. You know, and I love that you brought up doing these like small little things to respond to that instant response, you know? And the thing that is coming up for me is one of the simplest things that I've done, but also the most radical thing that I've done is turn off my email notifications. So, because I was noticing in my body, every time I got an email, it was like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what's this email going to be about? Or, or, you know, I might be somewhere with my son and I would get an email notification and it would take me out of being present with my son and put me into like, Oh, you know, now I have to handle this. And so the simple task of turning off my email notifications has put me back in charge. I still check my email several times a day on my phone, but I check it when I know that I'm ready to receive whatever is in my email box. Not when I'm doing something with my son or trying to be present in my family or, you know, not just that any random time, you know, or if someone emails me at midnight, I'm taking back that control because I started listening to my body every time I got an email. It always sent me into that fight or flight of like, well, now I have to do something about getting this email. When it really, it's like, I actually don't have to do anything about that email. Right. That email is not a life-threatening thing. Yes. And so that has been so transformative to cultivate that relaxedness in my body and and the ability to stay present in my day-to-day life. Yeah. And it brings you back to what I was talking about. We're talking about with kids, right? Is when they have that inflamed response, right? When they have that response, Mm -hmm. what do we say? The first thing we do is make eye contact. We see them, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you're thinking about, okay, well, how, okay, so I'm going to listen to my body, then what? That's it. Just notice. Mm -hmm. Just go, wow, I see that my heart's really racing right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see that I feel this pit of dread in my stomach or... I see that I'm starting to feel really resentful or bitter and just notice, just start there. Imagine yourself looking yourself in the eye, but you have compassion and not judgment on your face and just start there. Just start to say, Hey, I see that. Okay. And then I think this is where that co-regulation really comes into play because 
So often, again, we're like, I have to calm down. I have to figure this out. I have to get myself back to safety. Yeah. How do I get to the middle of the ladder? Or that there's something wrong with me. Like, oh, there's something wrong with me that my heart jumps every time I get an email. Well, most people feel that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how do we navigate that? I think one of the easiest things to do is think about responding. Your stress response <laughs> is just that. It's a response. And your entire body is activated based off of what you see. And then we think we somehow have to like out of thin air cultivate safety. No, no, no. Maybe you can do that if you're like enlightened or something. But for most of us, right, pay attention to the things that feel safe. Listen to the birds sing. Evolutionarily, our bodies are primed to activate our rest and digest system Mm -hmm. when we hear birds because that tells us that our environment is safe from like natural disaster and big predators Mm -hmm. so even just going outside in the morning and listening to the birds if that's driving with your windows down and the music up if that's when you get home you put your phone aside and you look look at your family look at your kids laughing or Mm -hmm. you know pet your puppy or see your partner smiling smell good food really immerse yourself in these moments when you're with your friends and you can't get what you saw in work out of your head or you can't get that conversation out of your mind or you're so frantic about Mm -hmm. that meeting tomorrow listen look pay attention Mm -hmm. look at people laughing and talking and engaging and hugging and and then breathe Yeah. So like what you're really saying is if we can get our danger cues from our five senses, we are getting the information that we're in danger. We can also get the information of safety through engaging in our senses. Yes. But the second part that I'm hearing you say is that the danger cues are kind of automatic, but we actually have to be intentional about finding the safety cues in the world around us and connecting that for ourselves of, Hey, The birds are chirping. And so that means the world is safe and my body is safe to be in this moment. And so really kind of connecting the senses with safety. Yes. And that's what I meant by our survival response is amazing and so inconvenient (laughs) because our brains are first and foremost, primarily wired to to keep us out of danger, to protect. And so it's going to like jump to the negative. It's going to jump to the scary and we have to actively train it to see the good. Mm -hmm. And that's why practicing gratitude is so powerful and so scientifically proven as effective for our mental, emotional, physical health Mm -hmm. is because we are actively training our brain to look for good things and our brains just, it needs, it requires that effort. Yeah. So give me like, what does this look like at work? Because You know, I'm hearing you say like practice gratitude and listen to the birds, but what if I have a job that I hate going to every day? Or like, what if I have a job that's like, there is no windows? How do I cultivate this sense of safety in my body through my senses when I don't have those options maybe in my current work situation? Right. So much of our danger cues don't just come from the facts. They come from the story we tell ourselves about the facts. And we've said this over and over in different ways. But if I tell myself, oh, this job is life sucking. I hate this, but I have to do this because I have to pay these bills and I have all these responsibilities and I'm stuck here. Ooh, even just saying that, I can feel it, right? If we're telling ourselves, I feel stuck, I feel trapped, then our body's going to respond that way. One of the most fascinating things I learned in a trauma training I went to about a year ago was that they did a study on what could cause vicarious trauma. And it was anytime you witness or hear of something traumatic, Mm -hmm. unless you witnessed or heard that through media, you can't get vicarious trauma from that. Unless you had to watch that media because of your job. So in other words, what we pulled out from that was like the choices, like I have the choice to turn off the media or not. Yeah, exactly. So that choice is a key element in how we experience trauma, Mm -hmm. what our bodies register as traumatic or not. 
And so in other words, if the story I'm telling myself is I have no choice, I'm stuck here, I have no choice, mm-hmm. your body's going to do that. And it's likely going to enter into that shutdown phase of I just have to do this. It's just what life is like. Mm-hmm. And so a huge part of moving ourselves up into safety is getting really real with ourselves about the story that we're telling ourselves and being really, really honest. Is this the fact? And what we're probably going to find is, yeah, a lot of it is fact. You do have to pay your bills. You do have kids that need you to show up. You maybe don't have the education or don't have the connections to get another job. So then you look at the facts. That's the facts are the facts. That's how they are. So now what are you going to do? Now, how are you going to respond? And you tap into that ability to choose, that power to choose. What choices do I have within the facts? Like instead of going, oh, okay, well, I could do this or I could do this or I could do this, but those are maybe like intangible at the moment. We see the situation for what it is and go, okay, within this situation, what are the choices? What are the pathways? What's the agency that I have? Yes. Because so many of us believe that story of I'm stuck. And then we wish for a savior, right? We wish for the pie in the sky. We wish to win the lottery. We wish to, oh, if I could just, we kind of daydream. And what we do is we end up spending a lot of mental and emotional energy on things that are actually outside of our control. And we feel stuck, but we're actually forfeiting some of the control that we do have. Partly our brain is keeping us safe because again, that's just another something that's being asked of you, right? If you're going to take responsibility for your life or your choices, that's something else that's being asked of you. And yeah. if you have a lot being asked of you already, your brain is trying to keep you and shut down to stay alive. So what I find so amazing about being human, and we are the only species that has this ability to override our survival response. To have a survival response, we've got it, but we have an opportunity to go I have a survival response, but this survival response is not me. And I can choose to step out. I can choose to rise up. I can choose to navigate this and I can make choices. And so, yes, your brain and body might be putting you in that shutdown mode, but you don't have to stay there. And if you can say, you know what, I'm choosing this job because I love my kids and I want them to have a meal or I want them to be able to go to a good school or I'm choosing this job because I really care about this work. And then you get to decide how you choose it. Hey, I choose to show up wholeheartedly from nine to five, but at five o'clock, I'm going to go home and be wholeheartedly with my family, Mm -hmm. deciding not just what you're going to do, but how you're going to do it. And when you can take that power back, it builds up so much self-confidence. It builds up so much resilience. What you're Mm -hmm. doing is you're telling your body, hey, body, I'm listening. You don't have to yell Mm -hmm. because our body cannot speak to us in words. So it speaks to us in symptoms. Mm -hmm. And if you're experiencing symptoms of anxiety, depression, you've got physical conditions or you, you know, those physical sensations that we get, that's our body saying, knock, 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 hello, knock, 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 hello. Mm -hmm. And if we don't listen, it's going to start pounding on the door. Yeah. And so the more that we can listen, we can go, okay, body, I hear you. I get it. I see what you need Mm -hmm. and I'm doing something about it and watch your body will go. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like my nephew. I just had to look in his eyes and he goes, okay. Yeah. It's like, we don't have to sound the alarm if I've already said, oh, my alarm's going off. Right. Yeah. And we don't want to just keep pushing snooze on the alarm. We want to go, okay, I'm hearing that this alarm is going off. And so first I need to know what is the alarm telling me? Why is it telling me that? And then what do I do about it? That might mean an array of things. But the first step is to start listening to our warning system, listening to what our body says when we get that email notification or when we walk into our workplace or when we go to lunch with our coworkers and it doesn't feel like a safe space. Noticing in our body who is a safe person at work and who is not. Mm-hmm. Who holds space for our stuff and who gossips to the next person at work. Right. And just being able to start noticing all of those warning signs without judgment, you know, without saying, well, everyone else is fine. So what's wrong with me and going, oh man, I'm noticing that my body doesn't feel calm right now. Huh? I wonder why that is. 
is a huge game changer. Yes. And I think that is, again, like if people are asking, okay, well, where do I start practicing this? This is where you start. Mm -hmm. You start by listening to your body without judgment. And for those of us who have been in social services who identify ourselves as helpers and givers, or maybe you've grown up in a religious context where you were taught to be selfless, we have a lot of judgment on ourselves (laughs) and on how we feel. And you don't need my permission, but I'm giving you my permission. I'm telling you, you have an innate permission. It's not mine. You have it to listen to your body. And it's okay that you feel uncomfortable. You don't have to know why you feel that way. You're not a bad person. You're not judging them. Just ask questions, you know, just give yourself some time and space. But we have those feelings of oh, I don't want to do that. And then we go, oh, you're so selfish, Krista. Yeah. These people don't want to be trafficked. Get your butt to work, you know, or we can just be so harsh and we have those feelings, right? Those, oh, I don't want to do this or, oh, I don't like this or I feel uncomfortable or I feel weird. We're in the middle of a meeting. Like we can't figure out why we feel weird yet. We just feel weird. And so we're like, yeah, sure. I guess I'll do that thing or sure. We'll work together. Yeah, And so just noticing like, it's okay to ask for time when you don't know why you feel the way that you feel, but you feel weird. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we want to be people that show up for others. We want to be people that are in it and are present with pain and reliable and kind and generous. Mm -hmm. That's why we got in this work. We want to give, we want to give. Mm But I think if we have that sense of judgment around ourselves, when we feel that sense of just tired or depleted, or I don't want to do that, Mm -hmm. and we immediately resort to judgment, we don't ask ourselves, hey, what's going on here? We don't stop to look ourselves in the eye and go, why? Are you okay? Do you need something? Mm-hmm. We just automatically assume that we're bad, selfish people. Yeah. If we don't treat ourselves the way that we would treat somebody else. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Which for our clients is so confusing mm-hmm. and doesn't build safety and trust with them. Mm-hmm. If they can see that we are asking them to be kind and patient with themselves, but we're not doing that in ourselves. These people can read that. That's neuroception. They can sense that. Mm -hmm. And then they're going, well, why do I have to be kind and patient with myself, but you don't have to? Do you have something that I don't? Are you more advanced or more enlightened? That like, mm-hmm. Are you on a different level than me? Or are you practicing like, do what I say, but not what I do? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if we want to build trust with our clients, if we want to truly empower them and let them know, hey, you're a human with all of the flaws and struggles and all of the power and strength and beauty and you got this, we have to believe that for ourselves. Yeah. And part of what I am envisioning in this, what I'm hoping will be a revolution in the field of social service is this key right here is when we see it for ourselves and we realize, oh man, I'm a human with all of the flaws and struggles and all of the strength and the beauty and the power. Mm-hmm. And you are just like me. I'm not on a different plane than you. I don't have to have it all together. I need help. You need help. We're all helping each other. Mm-hmm. We're just figuring this out. I think a world like that is really the world that we're dreaming of. And we just haven't gotten there yet because we have felt so much pressure to be superheroes, to be invincible, to be without needs. Mm-hmm. An effective social service does not mean that you don't have needs. Yeah. Yeah. That's my little soapbox for the, for the day. <laughs> <laughs> End scene. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but like that, I mean, that's true. Like, just because we got into a job that we chose to get into a job to help other people does not mean that our humanness and our human needs have also stopped. Right. The ability to help ourselves and to respond to ourselves is what gives us the actual ability to respond for other people and to show up for other people. Yeah. Okay. So, in a nutshell, first step listening to our body. I guess the first step is to understanding that our body is giving us warning signs. And then the second step is to listen. The third step is to respond. And the message is not, hey, you have to respond in this huge way, but we just have to respond in the little ways, in the simple ways. It's a lot more simple than hashtag self-care movement makes it seem. Yeah, absolutely. 
You nailed it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited that you're here. We want to see this show grow and you can help us do that. There are a few ways to help podcasts grow. One of them is simply by sharing the show. If you found this information helpful, put this podcast in your organization's newsletters, on your website, on your social media, share it with your colleagues. You can text it. We want this show to get out to all the people that need to hear it and you can really help us with that. What also really helps podcasts are ratings and reviews. On Spotify, there's a little rating button at the top of the show, and it just is a star rating. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and a review. Any and all is so appreciated because it really does help the show get noticed. So we hope that you stick around, and thank you so much for your support. We want to hear from you guys. Reach out to us at hello at Full Cup Professionals. And tell us what are the ways that you are noticing your body and your job? What are the ways that you're listening? And what are the ways that you're responding? And what are some things you've already done to take these steps to start listening and start restructuring your internal experience at work? Yes, we want to hear from you. Hello at fullcupprofessionals.com. You can also reach us. We both have our Instagrams. Yes. I am at good underscore sustained. This is Krista and that is my business. And then Faith has her own business and her Instagram. What's your Instagram, Faith? I am at holistic underscore hope underscore. And my website is holistichope.net. Awesome. And we are so thankful that you're here. We are pumped for this podcast and we cannot wait to see you next time. Yeah. We want to hear from you about topics, but we've got some really cool things planned. So stay tuned and we will see you next time. Oh, Faith, what are you doing to fill up your cup this week? You know, I'm actually going to take a little bit of our own advice and listen to my body. And I'm going to go to the chiropractor. Nice. Get some of the tension cracked out of my body. <laughs> Love that for you. <laughs> here for that. Uh, What about you? What are you doing this week to fill up your emotional cup? Well, I am in Colorado, which that in itself fills out my cup. Yes. But even more than that, I get to spend a weekend with some of my best friends. So Mm. it's going to be a lovely time. Can't wait. Yeah. So, Well, enjoy it. Enjoy the mountains and the cool weather and all those things and the the friendships and the laughter. Thanks. Get yourself aligned and I'll uh, see you next time. (laughs) All right. We'll see you all next time.